0: Hi this is Isaac Arthur, welcome to the show and don't forget to check out this month's Nebula exclusive, Giant Space Monsters. To get access and help support the show while hearing every episode early and ad free, plus hours of bonus content, check out go.nebula.tv slash and use my code IsaacArthur. This episode is sponsored by Raycon. We often picture post-apocalyptic civilizations as rather crazy and murderous and I often wondered how realistic that was. Then I asked myself how crazy a lot of folks might be without a few days of internet access. Suddenly savage techno-barbarians made a lot more sense. So today we'll be looking at a popular notion in science fiction, the post-apocalyptic civilization with a mix of high technology as relics but otherwise pretty primitive, As usual we'll be asking how plausible that really is and how it might come about. We have plenty of examples in fiction but probably my favorite and the one that was on my mind when I put this topic up as one of the 5 options on a YouTube episode topics poll, which it won handily, is Warhammer 40k. In that universe we have a Grand Galactic Empire Morge over many millennia between now and around the year 25,000 AD, or 25k. But it ends up falling apart for various reasons, leading to the Age of Strife, which goes on for about 5,000 more years, then sees the rise of a new empire that endorsed the present time of the setting, the year 40,000. In this era, what high technology from the old empire remains is preserved and jealously guarded by the techno priests of the cult of the machine, the Adeptus Mechanicus of Mars. But Warhammer 40k and most of the other examples in science fiction of an empire collapsing into a Dark Age draws influence from Isaac Asimov's Foundation series which draws its influence from the fall of the Roman Empire. In the Foundation series, as the original empire begins to fall, the Foundation is started as a secluded world with a core of knowledge and science, designed to serve as a foundation for a second empire, so that it might rise more quickly than the predicted 3000 year Dark age. Their early interactions are essentially with techno barbarians, folks who still have a lot of old high tech devices that are barely functioning, often maintained through ritual more than true understanding, and plenty of lower technology. Spacefaring civilizations are powering their industry on coal and oil because they can't keep their fission or fusion plants running. In both the Foundation and in Warhammer 40K, we see entire religions or cults built around preserving that technology. Other settings like Gene Wolfe's Book of the New Sun have more of a fantasy flavor even though there is technology and ruins of technology everywhere, because the societies of those universes don't seem to make much distinction between magic and technology. That is maybe appropriate too because much of our own early science and technology was heavily intertwined with mysticism. Of course any sufficiently advanced technology might be indistinguishable from magic anyway, what we call clock tech and many science fiction stories utilize that to blend the science fiction and fantasy genres together. Another point to often make on the show is that while empires do fall, civilization or at least technology generally does not fall backward much, and the Dark Age is something that folks in later times dreamed up to place themselves as the spiritual successors to Greco-Roman civilization of antiquity, a second empire as it were. The Dark Age was not dark, even in Europe it was not ignorant and indeed it produced a very great deal of science and technology, but the image of the mighty empire falling and its degenerate descendants living in its ruins, if and until a second empire arises, is rather stuck in folks' mind even if its historical veracity is a bit sketchy or at least rather exaggerated in many regards. Still, such a fall could happen regardless that the classical example is nearly as fictional as the stories inspired by it, and that is what we will focus on today. As usual for the Rogue Civilization series here on SFIA, we are not concerned if such a civilization is stable in the long term or not. Same as when we looked at space prison colonies and said that would probably only be a temporary period of a few generations, or the same for various derelict or post-apocalyptic civilizations we looked at in other episodes, most historical periods and civilizations really only last a few generations anyway before undergoing a major metamorphosis, so it doesn't matter if a techno-barbarian civilization might be a temporary one until some new scientists and inventors arise. It would still be a unique and memorable period, ignoring that they probably didn't keep many records. Though we were also asked today what might make such a period endure for centuries or millennia too. What are techno-barbarians? Well, Barbarian is a word the ancient Romans adopted from the ancient Greeks, Barbaros basically means babbler, because foreign languages sounded to the Greeks like ineloquent, unintelligible sounds, bar bar bar, the ancient equivalent of blah blah blah. These days we'd say that's a bit of an arrogant superior attitude, but I'm willing to give people some slack when they invent philosophy and democracy. And to be fair, once the Roman Empire conquered the nearby civilizations, they were surrounded by cultures who weren't quite as organized, literate, developed, or well-bathed as themselves. The Northern Barbarians who would later bring down the Empire were very good at making swords and riverboats, low manpower technologies that a small tribe can support. But anything like an aqueduct or a university, things that only a large stable affluent society would even want to produce, let alone try to, well not so much. And that's basically what we mean by techno-barbarian, a culture that is overall not highly organized or developed or technically literate but has some technology around, along with some folks who can maintain or copy the technology but no scientist who could have created it, or who can further build on it. We could assume a case of total ignorance, some illiterate culture where the folks really have forgotten everything, but it's not terribly plausible as we discussed in episodes like Post-Apocalyptic Civilizations or Cyclic Apocalypses. In science fiction, it tends to summon to mind folks running around dressed in leather and furs and carrying crude knives, and laser guns, often some post-nuclear war wasteland, which begs the question where they're getting all those animal hides from in a desolate environment? though more dark settings will just suggest the leather and hides aren't from animals, or at least not from the four-legged kind. For others it is me centuries after the bomb or the fall and the forests have regrown, as we see in settings like Terry Brook's Shinara series. For those in settings right after a Cataclysm, when all the technology would mostly be still working and you can still find hair gel for spiking your mohawk, there's a lot of logic to the mixed tech levels. You can't manufacture many things but many will still be working with some effort and plenty of folks are still around with some direct knowledge of the devices, how to use them, how to maintain them, and maybe even how to build them. How long would various things last? Well, while many electronics of modern times would not hold up well, though some would, other things last much better. Guns are very durable even when not stored terribly well and can often be fairly easily fixed from cannibalized or improvised parts. This is not true of all of them, some are very touchy and need precision machine pieces, while others like the M2 50 Cal Brownie machine gun, affectionately known as the Ma Deuce, first developed in 1918, is still used to this day, and often the individual guns are considerably older than the folks firing them, A few years back the army found one that was still in service and working fine at the age of 90, one of the first few hundred ever produced. They are durable and rugged, and you can roll one down a hill into a muddy ditch, dump some motor oil on it and be shooting it a minute later. Of course it weighs about half as much as a person so it's not something your typical techno-barbarian would be lugging around and shooting, unless they were a muscle-bound mutant, and that is another example of how a technology might linger too it wouldn't be too improbable that we developed some sort of genetic engineering retrovirus that made steroids look like a placebo, such a virus might linger in a population or even be hereditary. On the other hand, you could get a protracted period of low-tech if much of the population suffered nutritional deficiencies, like a lack of iodine, and such deficiencies might be far more a concern on a space habitat or a terraformed planet. For that matter, we have previously discussed using specialized minerals or chemicals as a control for genetic engineering, like creating a plant or animal that had to have some rare element to grow so it could only do so where we wanted it to, to avoid issues of invasive species, and we might use similar approaches to human engineering so an engineered trait that was hereditary could only be activated if desired. So too, a civilization might have a population that was heavily saturated with internal nanotechnology that grew itself. An advanced civilization that partook in a lot of genetic engineering might see a lot of these sorts of alterations or upgrades remain available. This is also likely to be true of a lot of drugs and medicine, both the chemicals and treatment options. Discovering them is hard, but not so much keeping them. A civilization isn't likely to forget what germs are and what disinfects. Especially given that most post-apocalyptic scenarios tend to give the survivors ample reason to remember how to deal with sanitation and hygiene. Just as an example, the x-ray machine was first used for surgery way back in 1896 and the technology involved is something you could whip up in a garage from even a cursory explanation in a book. As two books, those can often be quite durable and since they are data, they can be copied and if they're critical to your civilization you will find time to make copies and compare them to others for accuracy. Handwriting a book is no short process, but if you're using that process every day and need to make a new copy every century, you'll find the time, or dump most of the task on an apprentice for you to check and to help them learn. Now you might be thinking, sure you can preserve the blueprints and basic ritual of manufacture, but the science is gone. But let's be realistic about this. For something like x-rays, those are a type of light, you see light all the time, you literally can't see without it. Folks aren't going to lose interest in what it is or find the explanation that it's made of individual tiny particles called photons that come in many different colors, some invisible, all that crazy or hard to remember and explain. Or maybe not. After all, the wave-particle dualistic nature of photons is certainly a confusing one to folks when first explained and is probably very ripe to transmute into some sort of mysticism, after all quantum tends to have that happen to it a lot as is. As I mentioned earlier though, a lot of initial scientific thinkers, Kepler in particular comes to mind, were pretty heavy on the mysticism and still got science and innovation done, so it might not be that big a barrier to recovering technology if that did develop. That's probably important to consider since while an awful lot of technology and science is very simple once you figure it out, an awful lot of our technology is very intricate. Those are also likely to be very hard to recreate the supply chains to maintain and build new ones for too. With a lack of understanding besides maintenance and primary purpose, they also might be very bad at obvious innovations, like realizing they could hook up their still-functional fusion reactor to run water purification or desalination, or grow food inside LED-lit climate-controlled greenhouses. I'm always a bit surprised by the absence of those in post-apocalyptic barren wastelands too, it's not like there'd be a shortage of glass to work with. Anyway, our techno-barbarians might have guns but probably not smartphones, except in that first generation or two. Especially since cell phones are not really devices by themselves, just access points to a network and fairly useless without that network, so they'll just run out and break. It really doesn't matter how much you want to preserve a computer processor, especially a modern one, when it breaks you need to replace it, not get in and replace one micron thick wire among millions or scrub some corrosion off it. Cutting edge technology things are generally not very durable, nor tiny components. And while duct tape is said to be able to fix anything, it generally doesn't apply to nanoscopic technologies, though maybe they'll invent nano duct tape in the future. Again though, that's modern stuff and stuff a few generations back is easier to perpetually repair, whereas stuff a few generations forward might be self-repairing or even organic or quasi-organic in nature. Someone might create a plant hybrid that grew silicon wafers, for instance. Stuff also doesn't decay for no reason, and a civilization re emerging a decade or two after some calamity might have access to tons of mostly functional devices and opt to store many of the extras and still retain knowledge of how best to do that. Removing oxygen from a room and replacing it with nitrogen only is one common preservative method, and separating oxygen and nitrogen out of the air is a simple enough process probably most easily done through fractional distillation, parallel to how you make gasoline from crude oil, another thing they'd need to attain if they want to keep engines around. And distillation in general is handy for many things including making ethanol from plant matter as an alternative to crude oil. If nothing else, they'd presumably want to attain that technology for making alcohol. For me it conjures to mind some big silo-style cracking tower decked out in mystic symbols attended by road monks. Any techno-barbarian civilization is going to need its tinkerers to keep going, and while it's overly simplifying in some ways, it wouldn't be inaccurate to say one of the default human tribe setups is the leadership being shared by the chief and the shaman. Your most successful tribes or smaller nations popping up in such an environment would presumably be the ones that kept the most technology around, so any cultural type that permitted that more easily would tend to be dominant. By default I tend to assume Techno-Barbarian is a very short phase, some calamity hits, folks survive, and things are pretty brutal for a bit, but stability returns and there's so much old tech and knowledge lying around that all those folks practiced at maintaining the old junk have ample examples for recreation or as guides to rediscovery for anything they actually did lose. You would also expect lots of folks to be making caches of knowledge and examples for later down the road when they could start manufacturing them again. Now folks might burn that knowledge, if the Calamity was something tech-based like a Machine Rebellion, but since those with tech will survive better, you'd expect a certain pro-tech or pro-knowledge element to remain who were not or torturing every science book and device schematic to the point of rooting out any possible troves of lore. One of the more interesting things about the Warhammer 40K setting, Age of Strife, or the Long Night, the 5000ish years of collapse, is that as the setting got built up more they take the attitude that it wasn't one big fall, but an initial collapse as Earth and the solar system got cut off from its daughter systems and had lots of partial revivals and follow-up collapses, with each one just being a bit weaker of a revival each time because the system is cut off from external resources and was already running at its maximum, like if we ward off a major metropolis. This scenario is a bit easier to imagine as realistic, everything gets more patchwork and more militant, and weapons are prioritized for maintenance and of course get used a lot. Some priceless relic of technology that keeps plants terraformed gets blown up because the faction with it has a big advantage and that is the only way you could even the odds and not get wiped out. It just slowly accumulates and corrodes over centuries of frenetic but insufficient patching and occasional sabotage or attack on something irreplaceable by someone who doesn't care about the long term, or who does but just thinks the long term will be a much worse place if the folks controlling that item remain a dominant player. Which is plausible enough, obviously if the folks on top were seen as likable and efficient, your Dark Age would tend to stabilize and come to an end. Most folks would rally to them instead of trying to topple them. At the same time, whole wars might be fought over the control of one of the few remaining irreplaceable relics, like the last remaining functional semiconductor factory, where it's needed so badly and valued so much that the attacker is willing to send folks in with clubs and fists to die in droves just to ensure no gunshots or explosives damage the priceless relic. The Battletech and MechWarrior franchise is set in a future with that attitude towards superluminal spacecraft and communication devices for instance, they are not to be attacked, Now it's worth noting that we always tend to assume such civilizations are fairly violent, though also to keep in mind that we are by most metrics much more peaceful nowadays than we used to be and probably in large part because full-blown modern warfare tends to wreck infrastructure and land far more severely than more technologically primitive styles. It's debatable how much of our tendency to avoid full-scale scorched earth warfare derives from how much more fragile and complex our economies are nowadays, but it probably is a decent chunk of the reason, because you can't really conquer folks that way and benefit by seizing their stuff, you ruined it all in the process of taking it. Techno-barbarians nominally have that even worse because they can't even rebuild the destroyed stuff, so ironically might be more prone to peace. Now that would imply they'd get peaceful, thus get stable, and thus be able to rebuild their civilization and technology, but that would depend a lot on the specifics, such as if their initial or ongoing calamity was resource scarcity based too. Ongoing calamities, like a resource scarcity, also better justify staying in a dark age. It is virtually impossible to deplete the resources of a planet, especially with a modern population, I've had folks ask me if we might run out of aluminum or iron or water without realizing those two elements, aluminum and iron, are the third and fourth most abundant thing on Earth's surface, right after oxygen and silicon, or its upper crust anyway, water obviously covers most of the planet's surface, and while you can run out of fresh water, as long as your planet has oceans then it will rain fresh water, and the amount overall is basically related to your temperature. That's another interesting one from that techno-barbarian phase on Earth in Warhammer 40k, they are missing all their oceans and the culprit is said to be it evaporating in all the perpetual nuclear wars. That wouldn't work but I personally just rewrite that as something they think is true and more likely they just exported the water out to various orbital colonies like O'Neill Cylinders to give them water while lowering their own coastlines to make more land. As we saw in the Earth 2.0 series, if you've got enough energy abundance you're not really dependent on natural evaporation cycles to supply your water needs, you just need some big cisterns and a good collection and treatment system. If you have tons of colonies that are space habitats with their water all trucked in from Earth or the Kuiper Belt objects like comets and icy asteroids, then if those get damaged or leak over dozens of centuries, then yeah, the water is basically now gone. Any that vented in a fashion that made it moving faster than the solar escape velocity would head out to deep space, and the rest would eventually clump together or get pulled into a gravity well, but it's way more likely to be Jupiter or the Sun's gravity well and effectively out of play without major effort. The notion of some partial Dyson Swarm, even if it was only very partial, like a K1.8 civilization with 1% of utilization of the Sun's light, is a lot more plausible as a way in which a solar system might get depleted of resources, compared to a handful of mere planets with populations of billions managing to drain an entire system. It's decently plausible that we might build up the solar system quite a lot in millennia to come, potentially having a population of a billion trillion within just a few millennia. The Sun can maintain power for that, as could potential artificial power sources like controlled fusion or black hole power generation, but you probably used up all your resources building that Dyson Swarm up, making all that land and living space and infrastructure you need. You can potentially raise that resource cap quite a lot more locally by engaging in star lifting, but either way you eventually hit a local ceiling. At that point you're capped out and any resources needed for maintenance either need to be recycled or trucked in from out system. Recycling is never going to be 100%, and so one can imagine the solar system being cut off by its colonies, either by embargo, war, or simply them having similarly maxed themselves out, and forced to slowly eat itself and that is a scenario where scavenger civilizations and wars for raw materials could occur and could cause a series of perpetual partial collapses, with ever more and more patchwork fixes and total losses involved, essentially a long-term techno-barbarian setup. One could also imagine it with colonies too, they would have tons of raw materials when they arrive and probably lots of manufacturing capacity, you wouldn't try colonizing without that but they probably rely on a lot of automation and a lot of standard templates. If they have to shut off their AI who handles that for some reason, things could fall apart fast. Same, I wouldn't be surprised if 3D printing templates or other forms of intellectual property in the future came with some sort of subscription rather than purchase option. You rent the colonial gear printing templates maybe, and you get cut off from being able to get updates or maintain that access, and have to fall back on repairing that gear or rebuilding from what templates you managed to keep. I've also suggested before that we might tend to get pretty organic in our colonial technology, engineering a lot of life forms or synthetic parallels that basically grew themselves, and that might be the sort of thing where you kept a lot of your technology, like your own personal genetic enhancements or your various gene-hacked plants that grew electronic components, but other tech you lost or those began to mutate over time. You also might have limited trade with other places who could sell you higher technology, but only took payment in raw materials or very placing cultural unique items, and who were not interested in selling you the actual knowledge because it would ruin their trade if you could make your own. Nasty approach but reasonably plausible. It's hard to control an interplanetary or interstellar empire, and if you got some critical stuff that a place needs it's a lot easier to keep them in the fold by maintaining that need rather than letting them fulfill it locally. If our solar system developed heavily, and we did interstellar colonization too, I could see whoever was running the show intentionally building in such scarcities to force unity. They might even do it openly, nobody appreciates being forced to rely on others, but we also all recognize the necessity for it as a byproduct of having a specialized civilization. We also know trade interdependence, keeping the pipes flowing, tends to help keep relations reasonably cordial as your neighbors can't just slam their doors shut or they'd fall behind. Since this encourages cooperation, I could see future civilizations intentionally and openly and maybe with full public approval forcing some interdependence of that type, as it prevents some cylinder habitat going dark and manufacturing doomsday devices inside it. Maybe you build your space habitats to be self-sufficient for most food and energy needs and able to stockpile decently fusion fuel or raw materials, but other stuff is more limited and you've got 100 or so such key items that each place gets to make one or two of only, and with tons of encryption and security built in to prevent local replication of that supply chain by those who didn't have it, or expansion of it by those who did, seeking a monopoly. In such a case you could see some calamity disrupt that and create a downward spiral where folks can't really recreate things or maintain them. Indeed some folks might seek a monopoly anyway by attacking any other place that made the same items they did. You could also have some core technologies that got banned as dangerous, that weren't just limited to the truly dangerous product. You might ban nanometer-scale computer chip production to avoid recreation of artificial intelligence if that had been a problem, and lacking that have a lot of other devices that would not function anymore, or other devices that could only be manufactured profitably by employing artificial intelligence, and such devices would become relics and artifacts you might be able to maintain at great cost, or even occasionally make at very great cost but fell out of common use, and that would be parallel to techno-barbarianism. Someone's got themselves a suit of power armor that used to be a dime a dozen to manufacture with all sorts of awesome features built in, complete with a weak AI running it so the wearer is basically like Iron Man, but it needed a very advanced AI to mass-produce them that cheap and now only a few trusted master craftsmen have the knowledge to maintain them. Or the suit mostly maintains itself and nobody makes them anymore. Centuries later you haven't got any new ones. The same could happen to a colony that had a lot more self-maintaining technology but lacked the ability to make more, like some colony ship had intentionally traveled long and fast through a very remote area of the galaxy with the intent of cutting themselves off and succeeded more than they planned, but couldn't build themselves up enough to maintain and recreate that infrastructure to make more of some things. Complex supply chains are exactly that and very vulnerable to any number of things breaking down or becoming unavailable, even things you didn't realize were critical to the system, and you need a big infrastructure and true expertise to improvise alternative sources or pieces too. So colonies could conceivably have that happen and indeed might have during their flight out there, a notion we considered in more detail in our episode The Million Year Arc. So while I tend to imagine most techno-barbarian cultures would be very short-lasting, a generation or two at most, and even that probably not nearly as extreme as we see in fiction, we do have a handful of decent scenarios where you could get a protracted epoch out of that. We'll get to the schedule of upcoming episodes and announcements in a moment, but first I wanted to welcome on board our newest sponsor for the show, Raycon. As a lot of you probably already know, I'm a big fan of audiobooks and tend to have them running in the background a lot when working on the show, and it's handy to just have an earbud in rather than having to pause whenever I'm up getting a cup of coffee or similar and that's even more useful these days when a lot of us find ourselves working from home and doing video conferences and needing to be able to get up and walk away from the screen without losing the conversation while you're up. Problem is, I've tended to have bad luck with a lot of earbuds that had all the dangling wires, stems, or just slipped out not to mention short battery lives. I was very pleased when I tried out Raycon's Everyday E25 earbuds, as they fit in snugly, discreetly, and with a noise-isolating fit so you can hear them even in a crowd, plus they've got a good battery life and a very compact charging case with its own battery that can recharge them 4 times while you're on the go. So if you're looking for a good pair of premium earbuds, and at about half the price of other premium earbuds, try out Raycon. Raycon was founded by Ray J and is a favorite of folks like Snoop Dogg and Melissa Etheridge for their wide range of stylish and fun colors and super comfortable fits, and if you'd like to give them a try, you can get 15% off today, just use the link in the episode's description, buyraycon.com slash Isaac Speaking of better listening options, if you didn't know, SFIA isn't just on YouTube, and we have an audio-only version, both with and without the accompanying music, available on Soundcloud, iTunes, and Spotify, so you can download the audio to listen to. However, we've also been experimenting this last year with a new streaming service called Nebula that you've probably heard me mention from time to time, and I sometimes release episodes there early. We'll be doing that more often now, though usually just a day or so early, but also without the ads in them, and all of our regular episodes are on Nebula too though it may be a while before I have time to re-render the old episodes without the ad reads in them. I'll talk about that more down the road but wanted to mention it as part of our always ongoing process of trying to add improvements and options to the show. We've got a fairly busy schedule coming up for the next couple weeks, starting with a look at superconductors, how they function and how they impact us now and will in the future if we ever get room temperature ones. Then the week after that we'll be back to the megastructure series to look not at various types of megastructures, but rather how you go about navigating around them and to them. Then on Sunday, August 16th, we'll be teaming up with the Exoplanets Channel and Parallax Nick for a 3-part bonus episode, talking Aliens and Laser SETI. If you want to alerts when those and other episodes come out, make sure to subscribe to the channel, and if you'd like to help support future episodes you can donate to us on Patreon or on our website, IsaacArthur.net, which I'll link to the episode description below along with all our various social media forums where you can get updates and chat with others about the concepts in the episodes and many other futuristic ideas. Until next time, thanks for watching, and have a great week.